What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's, where three dudes that would be killed instantly by Michael Myers with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and in case you haven't heard, evil does in fact die tonight. I'm Keith Baker, and I'm thinking we might see the boogeyman. And I'm Austin Terry, and it's Halloween. Everyone's entitled to one good scare. On today's show, we'll be doing a retrospective and review on the Halloween franchise, as well as a deep dive on the new Halloween Kills. Before we get to all that, Austin, are there any past episodes our audience should be checking out? Well, yes, there are, Matt. Uh, Just this past weekend, you and I got together and we broke down all the news from DC Fandom 2021. We talked about the Batman trailer. We talked about the Black Adam trailer. Tons of good stuff in that episode. And last week, we also got to see the conclusion of Daniel Craig's James Bond with No Time to Die. All three of us had a great time talking about the end of Daniel Craig's run. And of course, breaking down Remy Malik's unfortunately bad performance <laughs> in that movie. So go check those episodes out. Yeah, tons of good stuff. The DC fandom thing. Keith, would you believe that there was an entire panel devoted to Grant Gustin talking about how excited he was that in the new season of The Flash, he's finally going to be wearing the gold iconic boots? Who cares? That was an entire <laughs> panel. <laughs> the whole time I had a similar sentiment, which was, who cares about this? Also the opening of the event, oh. which was a weird choice. Golly. What season are they on now? Like seven or eight? I don't know. I stopped watching after three. We all did, but we all wanted to stop watching sooner, if that makes sense. <laughs> uh, with that, though, let's go ahead and get into the main topic for today's show. Halloween burst onto the scene in 1978 with John Carpenter's original film, which became a classic that has endured for over 40 years. It spawned 11 follow-ups, including direct sequels, a remake series, an anthology film, and now this reboot of the franchise, which gets rid of all the past movies, essentially, to make a direct sequel to the original. David Gordon Green and Danny McBride brought us the reboot in 2018, and now Halloween kills. Halloween Ends will close out the franchise in 2022. On last year's Bracket episode, we actually talked about how we didn't think the original Halloween held up and was a little boring by today's standards. Halloween 2018 did actually receive pretty good reviews from audiences and critics alike and put Jamie Lee Curtis's original Scream Queen back in the forefront. But where will Halloween kills land? Austin and Keith, how about you give me your brief thoughts on Halloween and Halloween 2018, as well as your non-spoiler thoughts on Halloween kills. Yeah, the original Halloween is one of those movies that Despite the fact that it's not as scary today as it was back in the 70s, it's still one of those movies you can put on and it kind of gets you in the Halloween spirit. I think there are some really interesting things that they do in that movie with camera angles, especially for the time. And overall, it's still a good watch and captures that kind of nostalgic feel for these classic horror movies. Halloween 2018, this is my first time seeing the movie for this episode. I was pleasantly surprised at how they kind of reinvented the Jamie Lee Curtis character. In a weird way, it's kind of like a pseudo-remake, pseudo-reboot. And um, overall, I'll just say it pleasantly surprised me. I did have a good time with Halloween 2018. And now for Halloween Kills. Without a doubt, I think this is the worst movie of the year. (laughs) Everything smart that they did in Halloween 18, they somehow just turned it on its head and made everybody dumb in this movie. Michael Myers, they, I feel like they kind of made him a bit more grounded in Halloween 2018. In Halloween Kills, he's just a super powered being that nobody can stop. For some reason, the town is more involved in this movie, even though that's never been the point of the Halloween franchise. And just overall, it's a stinker. And I would not recommend this movie to anybody. Wow. I love it. I love the bold statements. What about you, Keith? Are you feeling similarly to all three of these films? Uh, Yeah, in some regards. um, I I still think Halloween 1978 is still a classic, but I I do agree with Austin that it's not that scary of a movie. But I find it, it probably was scary for people in that time period because really that was kind of the first kind of slasher of its kind or at least one of the few classics of that time um i still like the nostalgic aspect part of it love donald plaisance as um loomis i always thought his character was really cool um going into halloween 2018 i guess jimmy lee curtis is cool in this one i I guess it made her a little crazy but i guess it's it goes to her character she does have the post-traumatic uh stress so yeah, I, there were some cool moments. I was telling Austin, I did I did kind of watch this one late at night, so I was kind of falling asleep. I don't know if that was because I was bored or if I was just tired, but I just didn't find a lot to be happening in, in the 2018 one. That was really all that cool. Um, and then going into Halloween Kills, this was interesting. <laughs> Definitely some stuff in there I really did like about it, but then Austin nailed it on the head. The town completely threw out all logic whenever they're dealing with any situation when it came to Michael. And it was just really frustrating to watch. Ooh, frustrating's a good word, Keith. Halloween Kills is a very frustrating movie. 
Yeah, um, I guess I'm pretty in line with you guys as well. I think the first movie, obviously a classic. It's endured for so long. I think that can be appreciated. And it's an interesting watch by today's standards. It just doesn't really work for me. This was the second time I've watched it. And yeah, it's just boring. I mean, that's really the word I would use. It's not really scary for me by today's standards. But yeah, I mean, like I was to mention the camera angles, the lighting. I mean, it certainly still looks good. So that's kind of a fun aspect of it. But, you know, it just doesn't really work for me anymore. That was why I was really excited to get into 2018 because I'd never seen that one. And I really, really liked Halloween 2018. I got to say, as a reboot, taking everything that worked from the original and kind of just modernizing it, it still maintained a lot of that good tension from the original movie. I like that Michael wasn't really a slasher in the traditional sense that he's just it's not like the body count is super high. It, it, there isn't a lot to his motivation, I guess, but it does make it even more creepy when you watch him in a one take, like walking through a house. And it's like, what's he going to do? Is he going to kill someone or is he going to just keep walking? Sometimes he does that. Like you never really know. He's so unpredictable and it makes him really scary. So I love the tension. I thought Jamie Lee Curtis was awesome. I know in last year's bracket, I talked about how much I love Jamie Lee Curtis, but it was just so clear that the first Halloween was like her acting debut because even she's pretty bad in it. So it was nice to see her return to that character and actually give an awesome badass performance. Um, but yeah, without further ado, whew, Halloween kills. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why they decided to do what they did with this movie. Um, I have a lot of thoughts. A lot of them are spoilery, so I won't get into that yet. I'll just say I agree with everything you guys said. The focus on the town was odd. Uh, very little focus on Laurie Strode, which seemed like kind of a bizarre choice after the first movie. They really dropped all of that tension I mentioned in favor of having Michael just be a killing machine. You know what they did do right in Halloween Kills, though? Hmm. Michael's the hero of the movie. I was rooting for him to kill all these people because <laughs> they're idiots in this film. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty dumb. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are definitely some high highs, which we'll get into later. And the actual kills themselves and the way they use gore, for the most part, I thought was kind of interesting and exciting. So there's definitely fun moments, but, and I don't know if I would go as far as also to say it's the worst movie of the year. That being said, if I went back and looked at everything I watched this year, maybe I would agree, uh, but I wouldn't recommend it either. It, it just, it stinks of the middle child syndrome with movies, how like the second of the three are always really weird because there's less tension as you know there's going to be another one. So it's like, how are they going to make it satisfying? And a lot of, you know, great sequels out there find ways to do that. But Halloween Kills did not, unfortunately. It kind of felt pointless until the last three minutes when they just dump all of this important stuff on you. And I was like, oh, that was interesting. But that was clearly the only reason we were supposed to watch this movie story-wise, because nothing else happened. If you want to see some sweet Michael Myers kills, I think that's the only reason to watch Halloween Kills. Because some of the kills are fun. What they do with the character is a little bit over the top. But the actual blood and gore of the movie is is probably the only redeeming quality of the film, I would say. I'd agree with that. Um, but I am really excited for this episode. I'm excited to talk about Halloween Kills specifically because of the bizarre choices. I'm interested to see all of our different thoughts on those. So, yeah. So just to preface before we get into that, since we are doing a combination of older movies and then we're also going to be reviewing a new movie, we'll go ahead and give the spoiler warning now. Uh, for Halloween Kills, just keep in mind for the first half of this conversation, we are going to be talking about Halloween and then Halloween 2018. So if you want to hear our thoughts on those, stick around. And then just keep in mind, we will get to Halloween Kills spoilers right after that. Austin and Keith, how about you hit me with the casting crew for these interesting films? All right, so the original Halloween is directed by the legendary John Carpenter, and then Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills is directed by David Gordon Green. Uh, you may know him from Pineapple Express, Joe, and Stronger. Our original Halloween is also written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, and later by David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. And our score is composed. Man, this guy is just a triple threat. <laughs> it's composed by John Carpenter, and he was later joined by Cody Carpenter and Daniel Davies. All right, going into our cast, we have Miss Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode. We have Mr. Donald Plaisance as Dr. Loomis. And then going into the later movies, we have Judy Greer as Karen, Andy Menchik as Allison, Will Patton as Deputy Hawkins, 
Anthony Michael Hall as Tommy Doyle, James Drew Courtney and Nick Castle as The Shape, a.k.a. Michael Myers. That's our cast and crew. Any highlights, any positives, negatives? What you got? I'll go ahead and do a negative. Ooh. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall as Tommy Doyle in Halloween Kills. I have major issues with the character, and I also have major issues with the performance. I just did not enjoy his presence at all in this movie. I felt like every time we go back to this guy, his acting's over the top, his character doesn't make any sense, and he's really just a major detractor from the film for me. Yeah, I'm a big Anthony Michael Hall fan. I agree with you. I think, for me, it more fell on the writing and the character itself, but even I was like, eh, yeah, I'm not loving the performance either. Did you like his speech at the open oh, mic night? no. What a weird speech. I'm going to tell you guys a story. It's like, dude, Tommy, this is a talent show. What are you doing? <laughs> this isn't the time or place, I feel like. I like how the nurse guy just says, okay, well, this just got really depressing. <laughs> He's just sitting there with a beer. <laughs> yeah. All right. So there's our first negative. What about you, Keith? Do you have another negative, or are you feeling more positive today? Uh, I'll shout out a positive I'll, to Donald Plaisance. Um, I really liked his character as Dr. Loomis in the original, and then they- Comes back and Halloween kills CGI'd in there, like yeah. kind of like uh, Mark Hamill and The Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, cool. Yeah, so I've always liked his character. Uh, I think he played a really good psychiatrist, and I, I know some of his lines are kind of cheesy, but uh, I really liked him. I really like him as an actor. And I like that he's like this smart guy in Halloween. Like he actually yeah. kind of knows what's going on, and he's like kind of the warning signal. Exactly. Well, we'll get to that later because that's going to be a very interesting part of the conversation. Because I think in the original Halloween, his character is used so weirdly. I mean, he's like supposed to be this really interesting, you know, psychotherapist and he knows more about Michael, but then he spends the entire movie just standing in bushes, like walking <laughs> randomly around the street. And it's not until like the last couple minutes where he finally finds Michael that he takes action. Now it's always like, what a terrible therapist. But one of the things I liked about Halloween Kills is they kind of retroactively made him seem more right and justified in his actions. I was like, okay, yeah, that was actually pretty cool the way they did that. I like that a lot. For me... Since I already talked about how much I didn't like Jamie Lee Curtis in the original and then liked her in the follow-ups, I won't do that. So I'll shout out a different one. I'm going to go Andy Matichek, who plays Allison, the granddaughter of Laurie Strode. I really enjoyed this character and kind of contrary to like Austin talking about how he really didn't like Tommy Doyle as a character. This is one that I thought they nailed for the most part. Definitely some weird choices in Halloween Kills, but in 2018, I really liked her dynamic, how even though she kind of feels like maybe they unfairly ostracized her grandmother, she's still in contact with her, some great scenes, and just overall, really fun performance, and I like how she gets in more of the action as the films go on. Yeah, it's, it's funny, because your highlight actually kind of ties back into my negative of Tommy Doyle, because I, I too, really like the Allison character, especially in Halloween 2018, and I, I like that in Halloween Kills. She's like, all right, I'm going to take action for my family, because Michael Myers has haunted us for so long. But she's still a child, and she walks outside, and Tommy Doyle hands her a sawed-off shotgun. Yep. <laughs> and he sends her off with another kid to be, like, their team of, like... It's like, they could have at least had Tommy go with her, and then Cameron goes with his dad. Instead, it's just like, all right, me and Lonnie are going to go that way. You kids, you point your guns, and you go the other way. Like, oh my god, what a <laughs> dumb choice. But unfortunately, <laughs> there will be plenty more dumb choices to talk about. But first... I do love doing our fun facts and production nightmares, especially when we're talking about more than one movie. So, Keith, what'd you find on the original? All right. Man, there was lots of really cool trivia for the original, but too much to go over in one podcast. So I'll just kind of say a couple quick things here. This film actually had a pretty small budget. Uh, it had a budget of 300000 and it was considered an independent film at the time. Uh, it went to gross $47 million at the U.S. box office. That's a big hit. So this has to be like one of the most successful films of all time then, right? In terms of profit, yeah, probably. Something like that. It said in 2008 that takings uh, would be the equivalent of $150 million, so I guess in 2020 that would be even more. Making Halloween 1978 one of the most successful independent films of all time. Uh, so this was, as you guys know, this was Jamie Lee Curtis's first feature film. She was paid $8,000. That seems fair based on the quality of work she turned in. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess accounting for inflation, that'd be like maybe 50 sure. to 60K now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, given that budget, that's probably why they cast an unknown. Yeah. Because they're trying to keep their costs down so low. Conversely, I mean, the only famous person in the movie was Donald Pleasance, who I think he had already played Blofeld in some of the Bond movies at this point. I can't remember the timeline of everything. He was paid like 
20k but it was for just working for like three days <laughs> so he was like yeah yeah i'll do your indie movie but give me this amount of money i'm only shooting for a couple days <laughs> and to your point all he had to do was stand in a bush and go hey get out of here <laughs> like so weird <laughs> and one other thing that goes to that Jamie Lee curtis only being paid eight thousand dollars the cast had to wear all their own clothes for the film they did not have a wardrobe department and they couldn't afford a wardrobe department. So Jamie Lee Curtis went to JC Penney for, for Laurie Strode's wardrobe. Nice. <laughs> uh, so she spent a, a less than a hundred bucks for the entire set. Um, so yeah, pretty cheap film. It went on to gross a lot. I wonder if that's why Halloween feels like such a classic because the wardrobe and like really does kind of add to like the kind of period piece feel of the movie. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It it feels super authentic in the way it's shot, lit. I mean, whether or not you find it boring like me, I think it still looks amazing for being over 40 years old. And they do kind of capture that neighborhood Halloween night oh, feel yeah. really well. Oh, for sure. Well, what about the follow-up then there, Austin? What'd you find for Halloween 2018? Okay, so Halloween 2018 actually went through a bit of a development hell to get to where it was today. Um, So when Rob Zombie originally rebooted the franchise back in 2007, he actually only wanted to make one film. The studio pushed him into the poorly received Halloween 2 in 2009, and then he dropped out of the planned Halloween 3D. Halloween 3D initially started pre-production, but was scrapped when the studio could never agree on a budget. And then after that, various Halloween projects would be announced and canceled in 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, and 2015. Jeez. Wow. The 2015 project got the closest to being made, titled Halloween Returns. However, the producers dropped out when the studio mandated they film in Serbia, which they thought would be a poor <laughs> fit for Adam Peel noise. Wow. That seems like an odd choice. I mean, I guess if you're telling a story over there... That involves Michael somehow. I guess that works. Nope, but... it was set in Haddonfield. Okay, and the there studio you go. wanted them to film in Serbia. So that <laughs> seems kind of odd. <laughs> Going after the tax cuts, I guess. So finally, in 2016, the rights to Halloween transitioned back to Blumhouse Productions. The original creator of the 1978 Halloween, John Carpenter, signed on to executive produce a new Halloween movie. Carpenter gave his blessing to the script from David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. And finally, after eight years in development hell a new Halloween movie entered production. And then also something I found pretty interesting, uh, Halloween 2018 was originally supposed to open with a recreation of Halloween's ending. The scene was going to be Loomis coming into the house and seeing Laurie struggle with Michael upstairs. Loomis was going to shoot Michael and Michael was going to fall back into the upstairs bedroom, kind of similar to how it plays out in the original movie. Loomis was going to rush upstairs and into the room where Michael was going to kill him. And then the final shot was going to be Laurie picking up Loomis's gun but shaking too much to pull the trigger. And that was going to be our opening uh, scene for the movie. Yeah, I guess we'll get to that later. I want to get your guys' thoughts when we get to the Halloween kills portion of whenever they had to like retroactively explain how Michael was apprehended because obviously it's weird to watch the original Halloween and then you watch the 2018 reboot and he's just been in prison for 40 years. And it's like, well, isn't like the whole ending of the first one that they didn't catch him? So that's interesting that Halloween 2018 was originally going to have a flashback. So. And that would kind of tie into the way Jamie Lee Curtis's character is because she's such a prepper and a fighter now. That would have been cool. Kind of cool that it would have been like, I couldn't pull the trigger originally. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen that. And going back to your Rob Zombie stuff, Austin, you and I were talking a little bit before the podcast, but so they actually made Lori related to Michael in those. Like, they were brother and sister. Right. That was the whole reason that, because for a long time people were saying that, that Halloween 2, the original, was also going to be canon to this because it takes... It took place on the same night, but then they announced that, I guess, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride didn't like that they were related, and that was revealed in Halloween, too, so they had to make that not canon. Um, and that's actually a line, too, in Halloween 2018. Somebody says, like, I heard he's your grandmother's brother, and Allison is like, no, somebody made that up. Yeah, that was funny. So I have a couple quick ones here for Halloween Kills, uh, kind of mostly just revolving around some casting. Obviously, we know that originally David Gordon Green and Danny McBride were just going to make two movies. One was going to be the Halloween reboot, and then the other was going to be Halloween Ends. But then they were like, well, we should prove ourselves in case this 2018 reboot sucks. And then after that, that's when they were like, okay, now we'll make two movies. Like They could have just made their follow-up, but instead they chose to make two, which led to Halloween Kills being kind of a weird extra movie, if you want to call it that. So whenever we get to talking about Halloween Kills in more detail, I think that might make more sense, because not a lot really happens. But 
despite it being a new movie, have some couple fun casting things here. One of them's a cameo that I didn't really pick up on, but the story of it's kind of fun. So Bob Odenkirk actually technically has a cameo in Halloween Kills. Um, he plays Bob Sims, who is one of Michael Myers' victims from the 1978 movie. The producers were not able to secure the likeness of original actor John Michael Graham for that film, so instead they used a real high school yearbook photograph of Odenkirk after discovering their resemblance. That's, That's cool. funny. Yeah. And then here's the big one. This one, I want to get Austin's thoughts in particular because you didn't like Tommy Doyle in this, so maybe this would be better. Still kind of hard to picture, but it would have been a different performance from that actor, so it could have been cool. Um, and this is the biggest kind of trivia in regards to this movie. On August 26, 2019, it was announced that Anthony Michael Hall would join the cast as Tommy Doyle, a character portrayed by Brian Andrews in the original film. Paul Rudd, who played Doyle in Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, was approached to reprise his role, but he had to decline because he was made unavailable after very recently committing to Ghostbusters Afterlife. So even though Halloween 6 is no longer canon, they actually did ask Paul Rudd if he wanted to play Tommy Doyle again. And that fun fact, that was actually Paul Rudd's um, acting kind of feature film debut. So would have been interesting seeing kind of like a gruffer Paul Rudd playing kind of a more serious and darker character, but it did not work out. Yeah, I'm glad Paul Rudd didn't come back for this just because this part sucks so much that I wouldn't have wanted to see an actor like Paul Rudd in that type of role. If they had found an interesting way to use Tommy Doyle, I would so much rather see Paul Rudd than Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah, yeah. I'm in agreement. All right, so now let's get into our critical reception. The first Halloween is, of course, regarded as an all-time classic and one of the most influential horror movies of all time. Halloween 2018 received mostly positive reviews, with reviews saying it was a step above the sequels and an effective thriller while keeping things simple. Halloween Kills, on the other hand, has a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is about a 40% drop since the 2018 one. The critic consensus is Halloween Kills should satisfy fans in search of brutal slasher thrills, but in terms of advancing the franchise, it's a bit less than the sum of its bloody parts. The film has currently grossed $23 million against a $20 million budget. It had the highest preview night gross for an R-rated movie and horror movie since the pandemic started. The theaters are back! Yeah! So positive reviews consistently called out the performances of the returning cast members, fan service for longtime fans, and the quality of the kills. The negative reviews primarily focuses on... How there seemed to be too many plot points, the tension from the past films were dropped in favor of kills, it's not scary, and the ending events happen way too quickly. Anything jump out at you guys that you want to comment on? For me, I guess I agree with some of the negatives, for sure. <laughs> Definitely goes in favor of like just a killing spree. Yeah, because the original is a slow burn, and Halloween Kills especially is more of a, it's almost like an action thriller in a weird way with the way they yeah. use Michael. Mm -hmm. um, at least the kills are good is like the only redeeming quality kind of like I said in the intro I would have preferred the more tension slow build up of both the original and Halloween 2018 it's also funny too because I was reading interviews with Danny McBride and he was saying like he didn't love that in all the reboots and the the franchise after the original like how powerful Michael Myers became and he was like I don't like that he's like invincible to kill and then and that's the whole premise of 2018 <laughs> is like nobody can kill him weird well, then that becomes even more of a literal thing, obviously, at the end of Halloween Kills, which we'll definitely have to get to in a little bit here. But let's go ahead and delve a little bit deeper, my friends. So let's get to our freeform discussion. We're going to start with Halloween 1978, John Carpenter's classic. Who wants to start us off? So for this classic one, we all know that it has that classic piano-based uh, score. I think that's really what made these films so cool. I always still like how they build like the suspense and they... They bring the, the piano in anytime uh, Michael's around and all that. So did you guys still like that, this this uh, this go around? Oh, yeah. This, I, the score is the best part of the movie, I think. And I, I like that it comes back in these new movies, too. That underlying theme for Michael is is good. And it does it, it does really add suspense to all the scenes. Like I think without that score, this movie is markedly even less scary than it is today. I think it's a little goofy at times, like how much it's used. It's very clear that they had such a low budget that John Carpenter just fucking knocked out this badass track and then was like, that's all we have money for. <laughs> so we just have to use it over <laughs> and over again. But it's awesome. And it definitely adds to it. So I'm not going to complain about it because it's a classic for a reason. Definitely makes the movie overall better for sure. Like you said, man, there is some like corny parts. So <laughs> whenever it just comes up like really quickly one after the other, like Michael's car will drive by and it goes, beep. 
<laughs> he just drives by and he's staring at them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then she's walking down the street. She thinks she sees something. <laughs> like 30 seconds later. I was yeah. like, damn, they're really using this a lot. To that point, though, about him driving down the street and stuff, I, I do like how much of a presence Michael has in the original and that it's not always just him killing. Like, it kind of gets over the top in the newer ones where he's always killing when he's on screen. In the original, I like that in some scenes he's just standing and staring at people. It makes his character a lot more creepy, I think. It's also cool, and this becomes more of a theme in the follow-up movies, but you kind of are left wondering at times because there is such an ominous nature to Michael, which I thought John Carpenter nailed. But then there are moments where he's like, kind of like you said, he's standing and staring, and it feels like most of it's at Lori. So it's like, is he kind of hunting her specifically? And then just these other friends kind of get in the way, so he kills them? Or... Did he just maybe see a resemblance to his sister that he killed? Or is it just by chance? I don't know. I kind of like that I'm left wondering that over the course of the movie. From what I gathered in this time watching it, so Lori's dad was the real estate agent trying to sell Michael's house. Remember oh, she that's drops, true. She drops off the key at yeah. the house, and I oh, yeah, saw and her there. doing that. And so I think like that's why he kind of started mm. targeting it on her, because he's like, oh, why is this chick messing with my house? Good point. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Keith. And it, everything kind of is tied to his house. Like, I like that they point out, and actually in Halloween Kills, I like that they point out how if you map his movements when he gets out of the insane asylum, it's always a straight line back to his house. And I never really picked up on that, to be honest. Again, I don't really have much history with these movies, obviously. I just watched two of the three for the first time, but I never really realized that. So it was kind of nice to watch that continue to track in both Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills as well. So despite the fact that the original isn't super scary today, I do think there is a lot to love, particularly with just the way they film scenes. And like, for example, that first person opening of the original, I still think looks good today. Um, the way they hide Michael in the background of shots and like when he's in the closet in some people's houses or just staring at people through like a, um, a clothing line, like things like that. I think there are really unique camera angles that can still kind of make you jump a little bit when you notice Michael in the background. Yeah, I think they do a good job of like also showing parts where you think he's going to come out and then he doesn't. Like whenever Linda, the first one that gets to go, she goes to the laundry room and you think he's going to be there, kind of by the, how the music's oh, yeah. playing. Yeah. And then she just, then he's just not there. She just goes back to the house to be with her sister. Yeah. Another great use of tension too is because they've done so many times earlier in the film, they've showed Michael around that you never know where he's going to be, which makes scenes like that just a little bit more tense. Yeah, I just, I really am impressed with the way it's shot. I, there are some kind of downsides to it, but my overall positives is just, I don't know if this was like a carpenter choice or if this is just how kind of grainy, like maybe low budget cameras worked back then. But I also like how, especially at the night scenes, kind of the border of the camera is so dark. So it just kind of adds to that really creepy feeling and like seeing Michael walk through a yard, but then like the sides of the cameras are just completely black. It's it's kind of off-putting, to be honest, and it gets even more so when you're actually seeing him inside houses. So I really love that. My only downside um, of just in terms of the way it's shot is there are so many scenes of characters just walking like for a really long time it's just like they're in the camera they like start walking and it just holds on them for like 30 seconds until they're like a mile away it just kind of made me giggle i was like did they do this just to extend the runtime or what was the decision there just a little bit goofy i think the closing 15 minutes of the film are are still really good today yeah. it's very tense michael is this this just um force of nature i think it's how john carpenter describes him but He's coming and his sights are on Lori. He's going to come across the street. He's coming to the house. Like all that, the way it builds up to that kind of crescendo at the end, I still think is really good today. The actual like end itself, I think, is so effective and so, ugh, it just, it, it takes everything that was creepy before and just escalates it. The way it's like, wow, like we've seen so many movies, even like recently, like not movies from 40 years ago, but movies that like the big final climax is, you know, the heroes win and they defeat or they kill the villain and you kind of get that nice big moment of relief whenever Loomis comes in and takes out Michael. It's like, oh, that was awesome. And then of course, you know, the famous shot wherever he peers over the balcony again and Michael's gone, the music kicks in. And then just the way it cuts to just random like parts of the house or other parts of the neighborhood that we've seen already and there's nothing there. And it's kind of like you said, Keith, earlier, like the way and also like the way they set up cameras. So it's like, is Michael going to come in in the scene or maybe not? And you're kind of wondering, like, where is Michael? And the way they do those 
quick cuts at the end. It's like you're wondering, like, oh, shit, like, where'd he go? <laughs> like, and you have no idea. It's really scary. And then it just cuts to credits. And it's like, ooh, what a good ending. I like how he never runs either. He's always just walking. Even if they're like sprinting away, somehow they never make any distance. <laughs> yeah. Kind of goofy in terms of like realism, but it looks really cool. The walking too is like, it's just like no matter how far you run, he's still coming though. Like I think it's really effective. Like even, even if you get away from him, he's going to he's gonna get to your house in like 10 minutes. So like you can hide, but Michael's <laughs> yeah, coming. It doesn't matter. You could, you could get on a plane and leave the country. He could go to Serbia to film Halloween Returns in 2016, <laughs> but Michael will still show up. <laughs> so what do you guys think of kind of the big surprising moment where Lori actually pulls off Michael's mask and they do show his face to indicate oh, you know, this force of nature is just a guy. Does that work for you guys? Do you wish they would have just left it vague, never shown his face? Because when we get to the later movies, it's like, is he more than a man or is he just a man? It's kind of, I don't know. So how, how do you feel about that big moment in the first one? I think it works for just Halloween, like just that movie by itself. I think yeah. it's the later movies with different directors and people behind it that decided to make him more of a supernatural type, unstoppable force. So for just Halloween, it works. I think it retroactively, it doesn't work in the other films, which is why they kind of never show his face in the new movies, because they want him to be more of that supernatural presence. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, he does kind of like grunt a little bit, too, whenever they do take his mask off. So he does does make some noises, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. kind of show he's a real human in a way. But yeah, I think Austin's right. I think it's better that they don't show it in these later ones. Kind of just makes him more mysterious. And I guess that kind of does naturally bring us into Halloween 2018 because 2018 is kind of more focused on the mask. Uh, they almost make it seem like the mask is what gives him his powers because he kind of gets out of the insane asylum after the podcast people show him his mask. It seems like that's kind of what sets him off. Did you guys kind of get that same read or? Yeah. Cause I'm trying to remember, what was he He was wearing a mask whenever he killed his sister, right? As a kid? Yeah, no? he put he put something yeah. on. Yeah. So it's kind of like that gives him, like he gives himself permission to go around like murdering people once he has the mask on. Yeah, that's how I read it. I don't read the mask, at least at this point, I don't read the mask as being a literal source of like, there's some supernatural power tied to it. But kind of like Keith, I read it that maybe Michael himself, when he puts on the mask, he feels more powerful and somehow maybe justified in his actions of killing for, for whatever reason. Every scene he has with the mask off, he kind of, he's kind of like shocked. He's kind of like during the headlights, he kind of pauses mm-hmm. for a second until he puts it back on. Yeah, exactly. And also, uh, since you brought up that opening scene, I just wanted to, again, this is the only time I've ever seen this movie and I loved this intro. I thought it was so awesome just seeing uh, these two podcasters come in and they want to talk to Michael. He's been in prison this entire time. So, like, what does that actually mean? Has he changed? Apparently, he's not talked the entire time as well. That's kind of interesting. And the way he pulls the mask out and it almost like the other patients there feel some type of thing in regards to the mask, but Michael doesn't budge. And the way he just asks him to say something, then just immediately as he's yelling, it just cuts to Halloween and then the music starts playing. I thought it was such an awesome cut to the opening credits. I honestly really dug Halloween 2018. I thought it was a great return to the franchise. Yeah, it was really cool. They had these two podcaster guys come in, and, uh, but then they get killed, so it's kind of sad. Ooh, they get killed, all right. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. was pretty brutal. Ooh. Yeah. Speaking of brutal, I like how Michael seems stronger in 2018, but not like unstoppable. You know what I mean? Like he, when he's hitting people and stuff, like you feel the weight of his movements, but he still does feel. Like there is a person under the mask, not just a being. For sure. I also wonder if there's anything to this. I, I definitely would never say that Michael Myers has a moral compass because he clearly doesn't. But there are indications in the original and some flashbacks that we see in Halloween Kills that there are people that he will choose for whatever reason to not kill um, at that time. And I thought it was interesting that Halloween 2018... Like, one of his first kills is a very young boy, like a child. Uh, Did you guys feel that that was on purpose? Is that something that Michael wouldn't have done in the original? Because that stood out to me as like, whoa, like that seemed even a line that Michael Myers wouldn't cross. I mean, he just murdered a young boy. So did that stand out to you guys at all? Yeah, the line with Michael has always been weird because I know in the original, there's the theories that he's only 
killing people that are like having sex or stuff that he might view as immoral. But then John Carpenter and Deborah Hill have said that wasn't the intention. It was more of just the teenagers are too busy trying to get laid to notice that Michael is in the house. Uh, So I don't think they ever intended there to be kind of like moral lines for Michael's actions. To me, it's always just kind of felt like if he feels like killing in that moment, he's going to kill. That's true. Maybe he's not feeling it in that five minutes. Maybe he needs a break. So he's going to keep walking. Like, I kind of like that. It's very ambiguous with the Michael character. True. Definitely adds to kind of the vagueness and ominous nature, which is pretty cool. Until you get to Halloween kills and then he just kills everybody. And then he just kills everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully we get some answers in the next movie with more of his time in the the asylum and what they were doing to him in there. You know how Sartan was the one that kind of set up the whole... Uh, Michael escaping from the bus and all that to see what he would do in the wild and That's all that That's the reason kind of I guess he wanted him alive. Yeah. yeah. Which goes to my other question, uh, what happened to him in asylum from the first one? Loomis kind of says, how does he know how to drive? He's been in here since he was six years old. And then he's like, someone in here has been teaching him lessons or something like that. So maybe we'll get some answers. Maybe there's somebody in that asylum that teaching Michael how to do certain things that he's never done before. Weirder things have happened in terms of like people influencing Michael. I mean- I joked earlier how I thought Loomis was a terrible therapist, but if I if I said that, then I have to double down on Sartan, who just, like, orchestrates this guy's release, and then also is just kind of personally interested. What would happen if Michael saw Laurie again? So I'll capture him and drive him to Laurie's house. <laughs> <laughs> so he just has no moral compass. But going back to the original point of Michael being able to talk, what was your guys' read on that same scene where Allison in the back of the police car is like, Oh, he talks to me. Did you think that was Allison just trying to distract Sartan to maybe orchestrate her escape from the car? Or do you think maybe she was being serious that maybe Michael did talk to her for whatever reason? I think she was just trying to get out. I don't think Michael said a word to her. Yeah, but that's what it was. What did you guys think about the reveal, though, that Michael isn't necessarily after Lori? So I really like this because I thought it allowed for some cool development for Lori because she has destroyed her entire life in fear of Michael. And I guess more specifically, the fear that he would escape. Um, I guess it's not even fear because she's ready for it. Like she wants Michael to get out so she can like confirm the kill basically, but it has ruined her personal life. Her kid got taken away. She has like no contact with pretty much anybody. They mentioned like failed relationships she's had. So everything got ruined. And then this kind of bomb is dropped on her which is further explored by uh hawkins and halloween kills but i love the idea that michael doesn't really care about laurie and this goes back to why they made halloween 2 not canon not making them siblings because then it's like oh i guess he does care about laurie i really love that maybe he's forgotten about laurie maybe he just wants to get back to haddonfield and put the mask on and you know kill who he feels deserved to be killed in his mind and Lori doesn't really factor into that uh he didn't go to Lori's house at the end his doctor drove him there and then it just happened that they you know got into contact so i thought this was a really really cool twist that they didn't treat as like a huge reveal it was kind of subtly set up which i really appreciated my personal theory on why michael kills is i think he's really interested in the different way people die because when he kills people and he's watching people die his head always kind of tilts as to he's interested to see what's happening. And he always watches his victims, regardless of what he does to them. His head always tilts and he always kind of like intently watches them as they die. And going back to your thing on, I don't, yeah, I don't think he's actually targeting Lori at all. I think he just targets Lori because Lori's more targeting him, but I don't think it's anything within her that he particularly is aiming for. Let's get into Lori a bit more. Um, I know we've talked about how much we kind of like her return in this role, What did you guys think of the aspect of her character kind of being a prepper, weapons training, training her daughters, all that stuff? She's always ready because it seems like she knows at some point Michael's coming back. How did all this work for you guys? Yeah, I I, I liked it in a sense. I thought her house was a little over the top, but I guess it makes sense to what happened to her. She's pretty fucked up in the head from what happened. So my favorite aspect of her house is the fact that after she checks a room, she can pull down the iron gates. Yeah. That way that Michael cool. can't sneak up on her. I like that conversation between her and Hawkins, though, whenever she's like, I prayed he would come back. And he's like, why? It's like, so I can kill him. And he's like, well, that was a dumb thing to pray for. <laughs> yeah. That was 
That was really good for me. I like the balance of like the badassery, but then you get like kind of like the hints of like like the Danny McBride comedy sneaking in there too. Like I, I really liked that in 2018. That was something that I felt was missing in Kills, but that was really good. Um, yeah, I, I thought Jimmy Lee Curtis was great in this movie. I thought her performance was so cool. It was giving me uh, Sarah Connor vibes from T2. The way that that character goes from being so innocent in the original, and then it's just this fucking badass killer in the in the sequel i mean that's what this is and i thought it was awesome to see that it was also believable seeing her train and shoot it was like okay yeah so this actually makes sense like austin called out the house and the way like at the end whenever they make like the dumb line about it's it's a trap it's like oh okay that's stupid but then it's like well they actually did back it up like the way the house actually functions is super cool um so yeah i love that i love seeing this version of Lori. and like i said at the beginning i also liked how the one person that she is kind of vulnerable with is her granddaughter i thought they had a really cool relationship as well uh what did we think of the father and his mouse traps and his peanut butter oh my god so keith i don't know if you caught this line since you were kind of a in and out maybe you didn't but i, I said this line to austin and austin was like i forgot that line and i'm not being hyperbolic did you catch the line at the beginning when ray judy greer's husband just like i guess is making a sandwich and like gets peanut butter on himself and he goes Ugh, I got peanut butter on my penis. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. Allison just goes, Ugh, Dad. Like, yeah. wh- what a weird line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> but overall, I thought the character was, you know, not bad, just kind of nothing. You know, kind of a typical character for a movie like this. So conversely, we've talked a lot about how much we like the um, Laurie and Allison dynamic, but obviously the odd one out is Judy Greer's Karen because she has a bit of a different role in the sense that she was raised by Lori and then it, she was raised to be like Lori to be a killer to be prepared for somebody like Michael coming back and then she's taken away at like, I think 12 they said she was taken by CPS and then kind of grew up to resent her mother I thought this character was pretty interesting and in, like in the context of a slasher movie I really appreciated that I thought Judy Greer was great did you guys like that character yeah I did uh seems like she's kind of like you said, the outlier of of the Haddonfield bunch, because you would think that some of them would just leave Haddonfield after this. Yeah, like this would happen. Like they're all just like, ah, eh, this is fucked up. I don't, I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be screwed up for the rest of my life. But I'm gonna stay in the town that did all this to me. <laughs> so it's kind of cool that she did leave for a while, but now she's back. Yeah, Judy Greer. Um, I really like her in, in Halloween 2018. I like the ending moments with her and Allison, where she does kind of use some of her training from her childhood. I found her performance in Halloween Kills really grating and just. It seems like she also is kind of over the top, just like the Tommy Doyle character. Yeah, we'll get to that. I think they kind of botched her in Kills. They botched everything in Kills. Yeah, but the way her character specifically kind of ramps up over 2018, it almost feels like at the end, okay, now she's kind of back on board with her mom. Like, now she's going to be ready to take on Michael. And then in Kills, for whatever reason, she kind of reverted back like she was just kind of not affected at all by the end of 2018 which seemed like a weird choice that being said i will give i mentioned earlier i loved how it cut uh to the opening credits in this movie but i have to say the other top tier moment one of my favorite movie moments in a while was whenever she grabs her old gun she's like crying with and she's like gonna protect Alice and then she like breaks down I can't mom I can't it's like oh Jesus like you're fucked like you have to protect your daughter but I get it it's like crazy and then whenever Michael shows up at the top and then she just goes turns it off gotcha and shoots him in the mouth I was like oh my god that was awesome such a cool moment so cool and the line is goofy but whenever she does go it's it's not a cage it's a trap and the bars close over and the house sets on fire yeah it it works when you're watching it yeah yeah i thought it was also interesting that right after that it, it ends with not really an inkling that a sequel's coming i guess there was like a post credit it wasn't a post credit scene but like after the credits you do hear michael breathing so it's like oh maybe he's alive but it it kind of just ends with them in the back of the truck and it's like oh maybe we won't get more so i thought that was an interesting call well we did get more matt and that film is called Halloween Kills. Oh, I bet it was really good. Well, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, it was actually shockingly bad. I think some critics might say unfortunately bad. Ah, Rami. Um, I actually do want to get into the opening of Halloween Kills, though, because maybe this didn't work for you guys, but I did actually find the opening of Kills really effective with the firefighters coming to put out the fire, Michael Myers stepping out, and then there's this kind of weird action scene. I didn't like how many action scenes are in the movie with Michael, but the firefighter scene I thought was really cool. 
Uh, yeah, I definitely liked it. I definitely liked the one, the two firefighters that go in and are, you know, putting, trying to put out the fire and then just get grabbed and just killed brutally by Michael with the pickaxe and all that. And I liked how they showed that he hid in the gun vault from the flames. Like, yeah. I like that that grate comes up and Michael steps out. It's like, oh, that kind of makes sense of, of where he would have hidden down there. But what do you guys think about it, like, kind of progressing when he gets out of the house and then he just slaughters all the other firefighters? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was. I thought it was fun. I thought it was cool. I think definitely the best part was where it felt more tense, which was when he killed the initial firefighters inside the house. I liked that more. Um, the only other thing I thought might be worth mentioning for the opening, it does come back later, and I did not expect this at all. But what do you guys think of another big part of the opening was the 1978 flashbacks, seeing the young Deputy Hawkins be, I guess partially responsible for capturing Michael kind of answered my question earlier like oh okay I guess this is how Michael was apprehended that's why he was in the asylum for 40 years did you think this was cool because I maybe it was in the trailers I don't know but I did not expect to see like scenes shot in the same way as the 70s movie much less like an actual extended flashback sequence I really liked it and I also liked that it wasn't just the same set and like wardrobe it seemed like it was the same cameras too. Like it felt yeah. like a, a 1978's awesome. crew and, and and filming and everything. And just like Halloween 2018, I thought that I thought this opening was great. I was really excited after we got through the opening credits, and then unfortunately the film does take a dive after that. Yeah, I think it was actually one of my favorite moments in the movie was the 1978 flashbacks. I just thought it was really cool how they did it. Definitely had a nostalgic feel to it. It was cool how they brought a Donald Pleasance back CGI'd in there. Yeah, um, and it kind of explained how Hawkins pretty much prevented uh, Loomis from shooting Michael in the head. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was cool. And even the simple things, like seeing Michael's mask be like completely clean and white was kind of a fun contrast to seeing it in the 2018 and the Kills version. And again, because this is Halloween Kills, we are going to kind of focus in on the weird, bizarre choices. <laughs> well, I love the flashback. There were two things I wanted to call out. One, it's a Deputy Hawkins is a terrible shot. I guess I applaud him for doing the thing that nobody else does in movies, which is when they have a hostage, they still try and go for the head. But he was way off with that shot, <laughs> hitting his buddy in the neck. I was like, oh. Well, I didn't he is just... a Haddonfield, Illinois deputy. I don't think they get very strong weapons trainings. Unfortunately, it would have all been fine if he had made literally any of the five shots he took as Michael was slowly <laughs> walking down the stairs right after. <laughs> he somehow missed every single one. And then... um. One that I thought was good, but still kind of forced. It was good because it made us, we already talked about, like, what, like, what is Michael's code? Does he kill anybody? Like, he left Lonnie, young Lonnie Elam alive, which was interesting. Is Lonnie Elam a new character? No. They just made him up for this one? No, oh, Lonnie no. Elam was the kid that bullied Tommy Doyle in the original that you were talking about earlier, the one that makes him drop his pumpkin. But he's getting bullied in this scene. Yeah, well, yeah. True, I, I think yeah. they were just showing that, like, you know, there are... And those kids were older, so I think the idea is Lonnie Elam bullies Tommy Doyle, but then there are older kids that bully him. Um, but yeah, so he was in the original movie. He was also the one that is going to walk into Michael Myers' house, but then Loomis scares him off, which they reference in this one. Like, I never made it into the house. Um, I just thought it was a little bit forced. They they had to force a confrontation between young Lonnie Elam and Michael so that older Lonnie would kind of fit in, I guess, to the, like the Lindsay character, the Tommy Doyle character, and the the nurse from the original, because otherwise he never encountered him. It's so forced in Tommy Doyle's speech, too, when he's yeah. like, that's Lindsay, she was with me, that's the nurse, Michael grabbed her head, and that's Lonnie, and he passed him on the street. None of the, <laughs> like Lonnie's experience compared to the other three's experience is drastically different. <laughs> that's a good, I didn't even think about that part, that's a good point. <laughs> he passed Lonnie on the street. Uh, and he's traumatized. <laughs> well, let's get into Tommy Doyle and, and this character and his whole plan for the movie. Because at first when he was like, I'm Tommy Doyle, I was like, okay, that's a cool callback. But when I realized he was going to be like kind of the main character for this movie and rile up the town in like a Salem witch trials-esque feel where we get the whole town riled up and we're just going after everybody. It's like, it's just stupid. Everything they do in this movie is so dumb. Their actions make no sense. They're handing out shotguns to children. All of it is just nonsensical and it's not exciting to watch yeah let's let's go into the first scene at the bar whenever they think michael's in the car even though it's the other uh guy from the insane asylum and tommy tommy's just over overly confident in this movie for sure he just grabs a baseball bat and he's like 
I got this. You guys stay He's back. also like, seen what Michael can do. He's seen Michael take some bullets as a yeah. kid. And he thought a baseball bat was going to help him in this situation. I also felt bad for the bartender. The bartender just talked about how it, like important this bat was to him. And then the second it's like, hey, there's someone in my car. He's just like, give me the fucking bat. <laughs> I'm going to go beat his head with it. <laughs> it's like, geez. <laughs> this is a very classic example for me of something that I think is a really, really cool in premise. It's just the execution kind of failed it. Because there are a lot of aspects of exploring the mob mentality, which is obviously, you know, very relevant today, that I thought was pretty scary. It's not like scary in like a jump scare way, but it's like watching this happen, it does kind of track. It's like this town pretty naturally, especially somebody like Tommy Doyle, will be really scared about Michael Myers coming back. So any opportunity to get the town on his side and get some help makes sense. And then, you know, of course, the idea of them going after the wrong person is pretty scary in practice. And I thought it was done pretty realistically. Unfortunately, the things that I think are really dumb is like you already mentioned. It's like, let's give shotguns to kids and not supervise them, send them off on their own. Let's pull up to a gas station and go, I need some good people, but yeah. you ride with me tonight. Yeah, and I just thought it was kind of goofy. It makes the Tommy Doyle character very unlikable. And then there's just like one split second of like Karen going, it's not him, Tommy. And then he goes, oh, it isn't him. But then it's too far gone that he immediately, it feels like that character should exit the movie at that point. But then he's like, don't worry, we're going to get Michael. It's like, we just killed somebody. Like you just did that, basically. And it's like, don't worry, we'll get it next time. So, and I, oh, my, my biggest problem is I just thought, Way, way too much time was devoted to this. While I like this idea and premise of forming this mob to fight Michael, it took up so much of the movie, which is especially, I think, problematic when we're kind of, as the audience, begging to see more of characters like Lori, like Allison, that were set up in the first one. Instead, they're kind of sidelined to see Tommy Doyle form a mob. It's, it's like half the movie, probably, in terms of how much time it takes up, so... Well, I thought some of it was cool. I was just kind of baffled that they leaned so hard into this. I also thought it was weird that Lonnie just does not care about his son. Like, as a parent, should you not be trying to yeah. keep your kids away from Michael Myers? And he's like, I trust you, Cameron. Here's a shotgun. See you <laughs> and later. He, yeah, and he doesn't, he doesn't realize that until the very end when they get to the Myers house. And then he walks in and is killed instantly. And it's like, what a weird, like, revelation to have suddenly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's also even stranger characters uh and their names are big john and little john oh, oh. i thought you were gonna say the i thought you were gonna say the doctor and the nurse oh I, they were fine I, they're just oh, bystanders i liked big john little john i thought they were fun why are their names big john little john the idea of somebody living in michael myers's house now 40 years later really cool it's just very distracting when they're checking in by going big john little john Big John? And then you just hear gurgling sounds like, Big John, no! <laughs> it's like, oh my God. <laughs> Big John, no! <laughs> so another kind of example that stood out to me of this movie is so kind of inconsequential in the grand scheme of like the story they're trying to tell with Halloween 2018 and presumably Halloween ends next year was they reintroduced us to so many legacy characters, if you want to call them that, from the original movie but then every single one of them dies except for Lindsay. So it's like, it's just another example of like, if you just watch Halloween 2018 and then you watch Halloween ends next year, we didn't need any of this information because they're all dead. <laughs> so they're introduced, die immediately. It just felt like another reason to, okay, well, we have an extra movie to write now, Danny McBride. Like, what are we going to do with it? Oh, shit. Let's just bring back a bunch of fan servicey characters and then kill them off so we can take up screen time. Like, that's what it felt like to me. It just felt a little bit too on the nose there. It is cool, though, that the actress that played Lindsay is the actress from yeah. Halloween 1978. She's a real housewife of Beverly Hills. Did you know that? Oh, I didn't. She's like one of the most famous real housewives. And then like randomly was like, yeah, I'll come back and play my character from Halloween. <laughs> the sheriff came back, too. The sheriff came back as a security in the hospital. Yeah. Pretty useless security guard in that yeah, hospital. Yeah, he was pretty bad. Yeah, and he <laughs> dies, too. Well, evil dies tonight. Everybody's dying. Going back to things being nonsensical at... It was very jarring to me how Karen kills Michael, stabs him, goes back to her daughter, but she's just a block over, and he's butchering the town, and they're all this screaming. This was insane to me. This final scene was so weird. The way it's shot, first of all, the way like he brutally kills everybody, including Tommy Doyle, I thought it was just shot very weird. It was very kind of too many cuts for me, very a lot too many close-ups. I thought it was kind of weird. 
Um, but then to go back to Karen at the house, she's with her uh, with her daughter, and then she walks out, sees what looks like young Michael Myers in the window, and then somehow, with this place swarming with cops, she I guess is able to in an active crime scene walk upstairs past the corpse of Cameron and Lonnie shoved in the attic, <laughs> and she just goes into the bedroom, and then Michael is somehow also there after. One second ago, we saw he was blocks away killing people, and then he kills her. I was like, what a weird rushed ending scene. And then it almost immediately cuts to credits. I was like, whoa, whoa. That was like the fastest one minute of anything I've ever seen. So bizarre. (laughs) And the only important thing that happened in this movie. The only thing you need to know about this movie is that Michael is more than human now, and he kills Karen. Only thing you need to know. If like, you're somebody that's like, I liked Halloween 2018 and Halloween Ends sounds good. Don't watch this movie. You know what you need to know. And then watch Halloween Ends next year. All right, Matt. Well, you told everybody to go watch Halloween Ends next year. What do we know about this film? We know some, not too many details, but we have some weird stuff. So I know a lot of people were excited about Halloween Ends because it's like, okay, we got 2018 and then Kills is the same night and then Ends will kind of be another direct sequel. It happened right after, right? I mean, that would make sense, you would think, with Karen being dead and Laurie going after her. But apparently that is not the case. So because of the 2018 reboot, those movies take place in 2018. And Halloween Ends has been confirmed to be taking place four years later. So it will take place in modern times. It'll take place in 2022. They've also said, and I thought this was bizarre, that they will be addressing the COVID-19 pandemic. So David Gordon Green, the director, describes Ends as a coming-of-age story and a more intimate movie where some of the characters have processed the insanity of the circus of the massacre of 2018. And not only that, but they've also processed the world as it spun so wildly in the last four years. He also added, we're leaving these characters on Halloween 2018. The world is a different place. So not only do they have their immediate world affected by that trauma, having time to process that trauma, and that's a specific and immediate traumatic event to the community of Haddonfield. But then they also had a worldwide pandemic and peculiar politics and another million things that turned their world upside down. So, first of all, I'm not saying it will be bad. I'm personally just not really interested in seeing another modern project address COVID. I don't know if that will make it worse or better. It sounds weird to me making it like Lori's just walking in her house like, Oh, man, the politics of the last four years have been crazy, huh, Allison? Like, I don't know (laughs) if that's going to be cool. And then Michael shows up like, ah, like he tries to stab somebody. But regardless, that's what we know. It's going to be taking place four years later. They had some narration at the end of this movie to kind of say, like, Michael might disappear and come back. um, And that I guess they'll address COVID. So that's all we know specifically. It's so weird to me. It almost sounds like. Like with Halloween 2018, it seems like this crew had a good sense of what people want from this franchise. And with Halloween Kills and now that premise for Halloween ends, it almost seems like they're trying to make the Halloween franchise like more of a social commentary, which is not a little bit. what people come for for these movies, especially with like addressing mob mentality and Halloween Kills. I don't know, man. I'm, that does not sound interesting to me at all. I mean, kind of what I said earlier, I and mean, hopefully they can have some flashbacks to him in the asylum. And I'm not saying they have to show his face or anything like that, but at least give us some answers of what was going on in like that 40-year span he's been in there. I I have a feeling there might be a driving force in that asylum that we have not seen. So that'd be kind of cool to get some background on that. Yeah, I agree. I'd like a lot of background, too. And, you know, we bring up mob mentality. I, I talked about how I liked it in premise for Halloween Kills, but the execution was bad. So... I guess to maybe be a bit more optimistic if they introduce like COVID stuff and being completely confined into your home, something like that in premise, maybe that could be cool. And that's when Michael makes his grand return could be interesting. But after seeing the way they handled kind of modern politics in this one, I don't have the highest hopes. So I'm still excited for it, but a little bit nervous. Calling it Halloween ends seems like a pretty big deal. That's true. It sounds like they're going to give like a final... Yeah. Ending to Michael and Laurie's story. Do you think he'll finally die? I'm guessing they both die. I think they both die as well, but I also think there's going to be a big reveal that Big John and Little John were taking turns being Michael. Taking turns? (laughs) (laughs) That's why they were sold that like a very hefty man could have potentially been Michael in the first place. (laughs) So weird. 
All right, guys, so we only have three movies here, but let's go ahead and rank them. Of course, next year we will add Halloween ends to this list, but so far we have Halloween 1978, Halloween 2018, and now Halloween Kills. How would you guys rank these? I think for me, I got to go with number one being Halloween 1978. I think I enjoyed Halloween Kills more, but Halloween 1978 is just that movie you can put on in the Halloween time. It kind of gets you in the Halloween spirit, so I think I got to give the edge to it there. So I'll go mm-hmm. Halloween 1978, Halloween 2018, and I can already guarantee you next year Halloween Kills will still be the last one, no matter how bad <laughs> Halloween ends is. Same thing for me. Halloween 1978, I think it's a classic. 2018 is, uh, sli- no, I was going to say slightly better. No, it's much better than Halloween Kills, so uh, and then Halloween Kills last. All right. I definitely respect your guys' call. I'm I'm close to doing the same thing. And as much as I really do appreciate the original Halloween for what it did, I just honestly enjoyed Halloween 2018 too much. I had such a great time with this. I wasn't expecting it because I didn't love the first Halloween. And this one kind of blew me away. I had such a great time. So I'm going to put Halloween 2018 as number one. Halloween 1978 as number two. And Halloween Kills, dead last, my friends. Very unfortunately bad as somebody reviewing Rami Malek as Safin might say. Yeah, Halloween Kills somehow somehow worse than... uh that Without Remorse movie that we talked about earlier this oh, year. Oh, jeez. I forgot about that. <laughs> Is that this year? That was this year. I think I'd rather watch Halloween Kills over Without Remorse. I I think it was... There were, Gar- Without Remorse was a garbage movie. I'd agree with you. <laughs> I'd rather watch Halloween Kills. Really? Yeah. I'd rather, I would watch Without Remorse every day of the week if my only other option every was day? Halloween Kills. <laughs> Halloween Kills was bad, but it was still at least entertaining to Fun the story. Kills. Yeah. yeah. Without Remorse, I think it's just garbage all around. So... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Before we can fully close out, though, it's time to give some awards. So, guys, I got to ask you, do you want to give awards to only Halloween Kills being the new one, or should we be all-encompassing and we can give anything to any of the three films? What are you feeling? I think we can do anything in the entire franchise, but my award specifically is for Halloween Kills. All right, Austin. How about you start us off, then? The most unintentionally scary scene of this entire franchise is the fact that this movie made me think a child bit into a candy bar and swallowed a razor blade. That was pretty scary. That was and scary. Did you guys, were you on the same page as me? I was like, did Michael Myers somehow put a razor blade in these kids' yeah. candy? <laughs> I was so confused for a second. <laughs> like, it just shows Big John and Little John trying to revive this kid, and then it cuts to across the street, and Michael's just sitting in a bush laughing. <laughs> I got him. <laughs> Michael's just holding up a sign that says, Trick. <laughs> Michael loves razor blades and candy. That's why he came back to Haddonfield. So I thought long and hard about this. Obviously, we have three movies here, tons of opportunities for awards, but I thought about what is the most deserving. And I think it really comes down to the person that did the most with a little. And that is my dear friend, Dr. Loomis. He is getting the best camouflage award. He's wearing pretty bright colors and he's standing in a bush the entire film and nobody sees him. And I think that's a tribute to what he is doing in this film. You know, nobody sees him. He's like making weird sounds. He's like antagonizing young children. But as long as he's wearing his coat and standing in a bush, you're never going to see him, never going to notice him. Dr. Loomis, great work, my friend. He's almost in like the grouchy parent role for the movie because he's just running up and down the street saying, go inside, go inside, go inside. I'm in a bush. Halloween's canceled. I'm going to give the Ben Franklin Award to the no, no. <laughs> to the bald no, no. insane asylum guy. That's, that's exactly who he looked like. He did have that vibe. It was a crazy Ben Franklin. <laughs> the Ben Franklin Award might be my favorite award anybody has ever given on the Arnie's podcast. So everybody, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing this with a friend, we'd really appreciate that to continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back on Tuesday to cover Dune. We've waited a long time for this one, and seeing this on the big screen should be super exciting. On Halloween, actually, we have another bracket coming your way. We have a ton of different types of Halloween movies to break down and determine what is the best. So, are you guys looking forward to covering these? I'm so excited for these next two weeks. Uh, I think Dune, I'm just going to throw this out there. I think Dune 
it's going to be Jason Momoa's best role. Whoa. I have high hopes for Mr. Momoa in this film. And then our Halloween bracket, our bracket episodes are always so much fun to record. I have genuinely don't know what's going to win this one. We have so many different genre types within the Halloween umbrella. So I can't wait to see how that shakes out. Dune is a long time coming. Can't wait for that. As you guys know, I'm also super into the brackets. Probably my favorite episodes to record just because it's so who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what's going to win? Sometimes we come into it like, ah, oh, Austin and Keith are going to love this movie. I said, and it's like, oh my God, this was fucking garbage. It's like, what? So <laughs> anything can happen. I think definitely we did our best to kind of get as many different types of genres in here. So it's going to be a very interesting conversation to say the least. And if we want to look way into the future, we still have to return to the Spider-Man franchise oh. with Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man. And Tom Holland's Spider-Man. So we have two more of those retrospective and review series coming out pretty soon, uh, leading up to the release of No Way Home. I don't know if I'm uh, looking forward to watching <laughs> Andrew Garfield, but I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> Actually, no, I am. I've, I've, I haven't seen those movies since they came out in theaters. Same. I think I only saw each of them once. If you want, Keith, me and Matt can watch the Andrew Garfield ones, and you can just watch Halloween Kills that week. Yeah, you have to watch, we're going to review the movies, and then Keith is just like, yeah, I agree, I like that part when I saw it 10 years ago, but guys, Halloween Kills, let me tell you about this scene. <laughs> Way better than Without Remorse, I gotta tell you. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, yeah, lastly, we want to hear from you, so please message us on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on the Halloween franchise and which is your favorite. Are you excited for Halloween ends? And what are you dressing up for Halloween? We want to know. Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Look forward to Halloween. Tons of more content. What the hell did you think of this movie? We thought it sucked. Uh, and have a good one. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Yeah.